0: Know me. You're used to my rhythms. You're used to my mode of preaching, but whenever we simply read the letter, there is no longer a reliance on the pastor's uh, performance, personality. It is simply that's what Scripture said, and we've delivered it as best we can with as plain and clear a reading as we possibly could. And then number five, whenever we do this, there is a great reminder that God's Word is what Hebrews four says, that it is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit or joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts, so that whenever we simply read First Timothy today, I pray that we are going to be struck by the activity of the word, that we will fear, feel, and hear the spirit that moved men to pin these words working within us, because that is the promise of scripture. So this, this is a unique thing we do. It's always an encouraging thing. Um, And and I hope that you are refreshed in the word today. I do want to put some big pieces in place. That's number one. Number two, I want to tell you why, not why are we reading it this way, but why 1 Timothy. And then we are going to read 1 Timothy. So the big pieces, who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at that. It's right there. And it's the very first word, regardless of your translation, Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And who's it written to? Timothy. And as we read, Timothy has been placed there. He was told to remain at Ephesus. So whenever you read uh, the book of Ephesians, and that's the church at Ephesus, Timothy has now at some point been put in there at some moment. So he's at the church at Ephesus. And now is this the exact same congregation? Well, these letters will be read in Ephesus to the church, It wasn't, well, that's Cross Life that meets there, that's Fort Smith Fellowship that meets there, that's Templo de la Bonza that meets there, that's Shaffee Crossing that meets there, that's First Baptist that meets down there. It was the church. A biblical understanding of the church is that it's not bound by the walls and where we gather, but it's God's people wherever they are, as long as they are faithfully adhering to him. So this is the same Timothy that we saw working alongside Paul and Philippians, it's the same one who joined Paul in Acts 16. It's the same one that we see mentioned in many of his other epistles. What kind of letter is this? This is what we call a pastoral epistle. So epistle is just a fancy word for letter. All right. So a pastoral epistle is one that was written to a pastor. Timothy has been placed as pastor over this congregation. And so his instructions are twofold. Number one, that here's how you lead the church and here's how the church should function. And number two, here's what believers should do personally in their lives to reflect the glory of God and what he's done. So it's a pastoral epistle. Therefore, that makes sense why I would like it a little bit. It's good instruction for me. It's good instruction for you, O priesthood of believers who are a holy nation and chosen race, redeemed by him. What should the tenor of your life look like? First Timothy will tell us. What should the church that you gather with look like? First Timothy will tell us. What are the key verses that kind of, if we were to look for a thesis statement, there's two key verses you should look at. Look at First Timothy chapter three, verse 15. In First Timothy 315, this is what we would call one of the key verses, kind of articulates a lot of what's going on in the book. Paul writes to Timothy, says, if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Like that's one of the key verses that we know how the church should operate when we gather. And then number two, the other key verse is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. It says, let no one, Paul says to Timothy, was obviously must've been a younger guy, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So if you take all of 1 Timothy and you want to narrow down into to two key verses, it's, real, there's, it's going to be those two. Now, could we find other passages that seem to articulate? Absolutely. But if we want to just kind of simplify, there you go. Okay, why do you and I need 1 Timothy before we launch into it? Number one, because quite simply it's good. Like it's just a good book. I know that's not a lot of depth, but it's just good. As we move through it, you're gonna be like, oh, it does say that in the Bible or, oh, I didn't know that. It's just a good book. Whenever we read Romans all the way through, you know what number one's going to be because it's simply good. Like we need God's word for our good. It's always good. Even if it's hard for us to digest for all the mysteries that we have to embrace in the goodness of his word, it's good. Number two, here we go. You and I need First Timothy because it guides us into the practical reality of what God's church should be like. We know that church, as biblically defined, is God's people that he calls out everywhere. We're doing church right now. And this is what, like in Arkansas, Southern Baptist Bible Belt, they'd say, where do you go to church? Like it's part of the articulation of how we talk. But the truth is, is that after our time of gathering is done, we will go out and we will be the church wherever we are. So we want to keep that reality in front of us that wherever we go, his church is universal and is, get this, it's eternal. It's a massive scope that you and I interact in the church in part right now. But it's part of a grander reality whenever he will marry his bride, the church in a final consummation and it will be beautiful. So the church in general refers to all believers wherever they gather and whenever they trust in the Lord. That's what defines them as believers. People who call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. They trust wholly in Jesus Christ's substitutionary death on their behalf and they are humbly and wholeheartedly committed to pursuing him and his righteousness. If that's what a gathering is doing this morning, then I'm all for them. And that's why... Sometimes we'll go to Templo de Alabanza and worship. I've talked to pastors over the last couple of months. They're like, we really should get our churches together. I'm like, are you preaching the gospel? Yeah. I said, then absolutely we should. It's okay not to be our own little tribe here, but to realize that we're just part of a bigger piece. With that in mind, we want to make sure that we get it right as we gather. And I think 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus tell us what that looks like. We won't all get it right. We're still prone to sin, but we want to keep clinging and repenting. Another reason that we need this is because the church that Christ has gathered in is called to meet regularly. It is scriptural. I don't care how many books are written that deconstruct the idea that we are meant to gather. It's not grounded in scripture. They, we, have always gathered as God's people for all time. Has history and have governments influence that? Sure they have. That doesn't mean gathering is wrong or unbiblical. The biblical thing that we are to do regularly, very clearly in Hebrews, is that we are to meet regularly and not make it a habit, that we neglect that habit. I'm sorry, let me try that again. We are to meet regularly and not make it a habit of missing church, as some are in the habit of doing. And so we want to meet now. Whenever we do meet, Scripture does speak to how we gather and when we gather, but it also gives us a lot of freedom. I love, somebody asked John Piper one time, are house churches valid, big churches valid, middle churches valid? I'm going to come back to that here in a little bit, but he said, as long as they love the Lord and proclaim his gospel, absolutely. Wherever God gathers his people, all are valid expressions, as long as they are clinging to his word and instruction. So as God has instructed us as to how he wants his church to look like, we Y'all, we can't say that we didn't know. Whenever we gather together, this is called corporate worship, and his word tells us what this should look like. Now, full disclosure, we're going to get into some things today that, that are going to be mysteries for us today. That's kind of the preview that you would get at the movie theater of, whoa, what's that scene going to be about? you got to show back up, or you got to listen to the podcast. I have a podcast. Okay. Inside joke with the wife. Um, so... Whenever it gets to elders, for example, do they have to be called elders? No, I think, that they're, I think that they function as elders. But, for example, I think that there are many churches that are functioning with elders that they call staff, but they meet the qualifications. That's okay to call them staff. Are they still overseers? Yeah, so there's nuances that we will walk through with this. There are other things whenever you're going to go, I've been a part of a church and they don't do that. Okay, well, that's for that church to reckon with. We look within, we deal with the church that we're a part of, making sure that we are faithful. Okay. All right. So, are, the, are big churches okay? Possibly. Middle churches okay? Possibly. House churches okay? Possibly. The health and the validity of a church is not on budgets, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but it's not in budgets and butts in seats. It's really on how we adhere to Scripture and the proclamation of the gospel. That's what qualifies a healthy church. So there are many buildings that are gathered today with the name church on them. And they are honoring the Lord, both big and small, house and park, fantastic. But there are also many buildings filled with people, and yet it's not a church. It's not composed of the saints, which are believers. It's not led by biblically qualified men according to what scripture says they and their wives should be like. It's not held by the convictions of scripture but by tolerance for the culture. And it is not reverent before a holy God, but it's busy with activities alone. I'm great with programs. I can't run them. I'm running too much already. I'm not against programs. I'm not against a VBS. I'm against keeping people busy so much so that they can't revere their Lord. So we want to have that conviction. All right. So final thoughts before we 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 move into this so you all listen closely there are clear teachings on how we should conduct and order ourselves as we gather to worship but there's also a lot of freedom what we cannot do is neglect what we have been clearly taught in scripture we cannot neglect that and what we can graciously accept is what scripture has not revealed to us as defining we have our preferences i have my preferences I had a friend ask me one day uh, at work in the hallway, can I, can I go talk to somebody about this? Because it's, um, I feel like I need to go talk to them about it. I said, number one, is it a preference or a conviction? Hmm, probably a preference. I said, then probably wouldn't do it. If it's a conviction, you should. And then we went on to the rest of the conversation. What we must absolutely do cross life is like God and his word be the standard by which we will operate. And trust that alone. So you and I, in summary, we need Timothy, because as a young church, we're about four years old. Half of that throughout COVID which has been its own rhythm and passage and trying to get people um, reacclimated, and navigating through whenever like three quarters of the church is in quarantine and, and trying to like work out all these nuances with busy lives and by vocational elders and, and all of this. But we're still a young church and first Timothy guides us in biblical truth and instruction. It will tell us three things, how we conduct ourselves as a local church, how we conduct ourselves with one another and how we conduct ourselves in our personal lives. You and I need this. We also need 1 Timothy to remind us, well, I think we forget way too often, God cares very, very deeply about his church. This is not Ricky's church. I may have been the church planter, but I didn't plant it alone. I had a wonderful family, and I had a team alongside me who's been there from the beginning. I might be the pastor, the lead pastor, but I don't pastor alone. We have now and we will have even more so a plurality of elders and a body of believers who are trying to honor God and it gets messy. But we want to as much as possible remember that God cares very deeply about his church because cross life is his. It's his body and and he's the head of it. Jesus Christ is the head and we are his bride and he has purified us. You and I may not feel purified as a church because we know the sin with which we struggle. We know how discouraged we get. We know that we do grow weak and weary, even though Scripture says that we won't. Like, we know all those things about us, and yet his blood over us says, in your weakness I am exalted. So he cares deeply about his church. The problem is not that God does not care. It's that we as a church care too little about God's instruction to his people. And we see that all the way throughout time, recorded in Genesis. God said, and then man said, yeah, but we don't want to do that. All right. Final thought. Then we're going to open 1 Timothy. We need 1 Timothy because we could succeed at doing so many things and yet never truly honor the God who called us into being. And as a four-year-old gathering of the saints, I as your pastor desire that we cling to scripture as he continues to deepen and broaden us. We need 1st Timothy for that reason. All right. I'm going to pray to kind of encapsulate that and then we're going to read 1st Timothy. Lord, I pray that those truths sink in. But Lord, if anything is forgotten today, I pray it is those things so that your word alone is what is saturating our hearts. Lord, I pray that you protect the enemy from uh, from distracting us. I pray that you be with the kids so that it is peaceful. And Lord, I pray that you be with our hearts that we hear the heart of God for his bride, for his body, as we gather so that you are honored and, Lord, all glory is yours in the end. Lord, as we sing that final song today, all glory be to Christ, may that be the reason for cross life. So, Lord, I pray that you do through your word what you intend for it to do in each individual and in our corporate life. May you be honored. Amen. Okay, so 1 Timothy. I'm in the ESV. If you're in the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, the um, RSV, with the CSB, like all these, they're all going to have the same thrust and, and intent and implication, if you're in the message, we're gonna miss each other a whole lot. Okay, but you get to the heart of what it's saying, and it's gonna it's gonna be right. I love the message. Actually, I love reading the Psalms in the message. I think it's a fun one, but but sometimes you read it and you're like, now, nah, what how, what does that originally say? And so you always want to check it. But but I like it as a commentary um, for contemporary culture. First Timothy, I will be in the ESV. Whatever your translation is and we're going to be going in the same direction. And, though tempted, I will not stop to clarify statements. I will not point to to any nuances in the language. We're going to simply read God's Word because it is sufficient for the work today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this. That the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all then, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, And thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. A preacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also... That women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man; whether she is to remain, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. "...who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God, I'm sorry, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus." For to this end, I, I'm sorry, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Just command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress and keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father and younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than sixty years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality, and do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also... Good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot cannot remain hidden. Let all those who are under a yoke of slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you have made I'm sorry, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, is the, who in the testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything. To enjoy, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O oh, Timothy, guard the, disp- the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we cannot say we didn't know. You saved Paul on the road to Damascus, a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, holding the coats of those who were stoned and ready with the list to go into to other gatherings, other churches that you had established. He was coming against you, your name, your fame, and your bride and killing believers. And you, by your grace, saved him. And Paul says in Timothy that you saved him just to show your incredible patience. Lord, thank you for saving us because you didn't have to. You didn't need our praise. You didn't need us to sing louder for you to be more glorified. You saved us because we couldn't save ourselves and you love us. And Lord, now that that we are yours as believers, may we continue to be sanctified by the truth of your word. Some of it, so applicable in First Timothy to a pastor. A lot of it, most of it, so applicable to every believer. All of it, perfectly and holy, God breathed scripture from God the Creator speaking to His creation, who He is calling to worship Him truly and wholly and rightly. So, Lord, I pray for. The elders and the teachers as we move through this series guard our preferences, our hearts, our swayings. Lord, give us wisdom. But Lord, today, would your word saturate and stick in our hearts Lord, so that we really can delight in knowing this, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, bone and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning our thoughts and our convictions. Lord, thank you that this is what I got to preach today because there is no error in it. Lord, may you find the error in us and may we delight in rejoicing in repentance towards you. May all that cross life does and the tenor of our lives be for Christ as we will sing, all glory be to Christ. That's why we do what we do. It's why all things exist. For by him, through him, and to him, Jesus Christ, are all things. Amen.